Well, today we're beginning a new sermon series called The Word of the Great King. It's a study in the Gospel of Matthew. But, but I want to explore with you not just living with the Word of the Great King, uh, not just hearing it, uh, but, but living under the Word. Uh, not with it, not in it, not for it, under it. There's a lot in that preposition, that little word under. We're going to learn something about that word uh, through a conversation that Jesus had long ago with a, an old, nearly retired, I imagine, soldier. So let's open our Bibles to that conversation. Would you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. I'd love for you to pull out a Bible uh, so that you can actually read aloud with me God's word together as an act of worship. So navigate over to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. And if you're able, would you stand with me as an act of showing honor to our king today? When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word, starting Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who were following him, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Well, did you hear that little word under, tucked inside there? Here's the centurion's secret, I think. You find the authority of your life under the authority of another. You find the authority of your life under the authority of another. There's a surprise here in this passage, for me at least, and it's that Jesus can do miracles because Jesus is a man under. Isn't this what the centurion implies? He says, oh, oh, you don't need to come to my house. Only speak the word. I also, he says, am a man under authority. It's a surprise. Not over? Not over others? Not over sickness? Not over principalities and powers? That's what I would have said. No, he says under. Under authority. Not in authority, not with authority, under authority. And we, I go, huh, huh, what, what, what? 
Actually, there are three figures in this incident. There's the centurion, there's Jesus, and then there are the followers of Jesus. That's us, right? Jesus actually turns and comments to the followers. So all three characters are in view. The centurion is a Roman soldier over a hundred soldiers, but he's under Rome. Jesus is the Son of God over heaven and earth, but he's under God the Father. And the followers of Jesus are over what's so-called the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, but we are under Jesus, the great king. See, what Matthew's talking about here is authority. He, he's put this incident exactly where he's put it in his gospel on purpose. He's put it right here just on the heels of the Sermon on the Mount, the great sermon that Jesus preaches about a coming kingdom. And you read this and, and it's described in such beautiful terms. We yearn for this kingdom, a kingdom which, in which the poor, those who rule, in which the brokenhearted find themselves comforted. Cheeks are turned in the face of hostility. Cloaks are shared with those who are in need. This is the kingdom that's coming. Jesus is the great king. And now Matthew, just as Jesus finishes this, tells us, now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. See, they hear his word and they sense his authority. Robert Jensen, in giving a lecture at Princeton University some years ago, spoke about this authority. He said, Jesus interpreted the scriptures as though he had written them himself. I really like that. Here's his exact words. He says, he interpreted them in a way that really only their author might be entitled to interpret them. See, see our scribes, they, they puzzle over the text. But Jesus, when we hear him, he acts as though he wrote the text. He comes across like he's actually the author of these ancient words. The author of the scriptures for him at that time, it's the Hebrew Bible. The author of our lives to speak so compellingly about them. The author in some ultimate sense of human history altogether. And so then the question for, for the follower of Jesus, as Matthew seems to be raising it for his readers, both in the context of the Sermon on the Mount and the conversation with the centurion, the question that Matthew's raising is, will you live under? Under the word of the great king. Under the authority of Jesus. Because you see, Matthew seems to be taking this lesson from the centurion. You find the authority of your life under the authority of another that's the centurion's secret. Okay, but there's a problem. There's a, you probably already identified it. There is a big problem, and that's we don't want to live under authority. <laughs> I want to be the authority of my own life. I've told you this. We want to be over, right? This is where I would expect an amen among Presbyterians even. <laughs> yes, I want to be in charge, right? Now, the centurion, he would understand this. He would understand. You don't become a centurion without scars. You have to see a centurion was an ordinary foot soldier. He was a legionnaire. Uh, he, he was not a commissioned officer. He had to fight his way up 
through the ranks to be recognized as a man of integrity, character, and a, and a true warrior. So no, he, he probably walks with a hitch here in his latter years. He's likely an older person, and we probably see a web of scars on his face. That's because he's been under before, and it's cost him. It's costly to be under. And, and the centurion, he knows that. And so let me suggest for us at least three reasons that we don't want to be under our past, our culture, and our nature. Let's think about these briefly. First, our past. We've been hurt under. I, th I think probably all of us could tell a story of having been hurt under. Because authority so often is misused. Was it a parent, a coach, a supervisor? Maybe it was even a church leader, an employer. They said something, they did something, they didn't do something, and they hurt you, and there's a wound in you. And the worst kind of misuse of authority is when it happens in a religious context. So I say that here. We acknowledge that. That's so devastating. We call it spiritual abuse. Many of us have experienced that. That's why we're here, for healing from spiritual abuse. No matter what experiences we've had, when authority has hurt us, when we've been hurt, when we've been under, there's something inside of us that says, oh, I'm never going to put myself in that position again. And that's quite right. That's important. See, see we, we, we want to know we can really only put ourselves under if we sense somebody's care, commitment, and competence. Otherwise, it's too dangerous. If we sense someone's care, I, I don't want to put myself under you unless I know you really care for me. You really, you, you want my best interests. I, I don't want to put myself under you unless I know you're really committed to me, that that's true today, but it's also going to be true tomorrow. I don't want to put myself under you unless I know you have the competence to fulfill the purpose of your authority in my life. See, here's the thing. When we're hurt by someone in authority, it's usually because the person who's in authority isn't themselves under authority. And that only makes the point. How important it is for us who are going to have authority to actually first know that we're under authority. So that's the first reason we, re we resist authority because of our past. There's a second reason, and that's our culture. Everything around us today tells us to be suspicious of those who are over, of anything that is over, right? You know this. Charles Taylor, the great uh, French-Canadian philosopher in his tome, The Secular Age, has this great insight, and that's that we've moved from, from an age of authority to an age of authenticity. In prior ages, we sought meaning in authorities, God, Bible, religion, traditions, institutions. Now we seek the meaning of our lives in ourselves. In the past, human beings tended to see their stories as part of a larger story. But now we try to write our own stories from authority to authenticity. One writer today named Jonathan Grant writes this. He says, modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality. The only rule being that they must resonate with who we feel we really are. The worst thing we can do is to conform to some moral code that's imposed from us from 
on us from outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else. It's deemed to be self-evident, which is to say we don't really think about this. It just, we think it's just obvious. It's deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique identity. The authentic self, Grant writes, believes that personal meaning must be found within it's another preposition, within ourselves, or must resonate with our one-of-a-kind personality. He said this is self-evident to us today, that truth is not out there, much less above us. It's, it's not beyond me, it's within me. It, at the end of the day, is me. And as a result, we're suspicious, deeply suspicious, sometimes rightfully suspicious of anything else that claims to have authority. Because we see authority as fundamentally coercive. If I say to you, Christ is risen, you're likely to say, what's George selling? We're losing confidence, therefore, in principles and experts, even in science itself. Objectivity has, in our age, become boiled down to subjectivity. This is the only source of authority. And the result is, everything now is just personal anecdote. What's your story? This is the second reason why everything, uh, why we resist authority. Let me give you one more. Third reason, our nature. And, and this is true across cultures. We want, to be over, we want to be over. We really want to be our own authority. This is human nature. This is the Eden insight, you know, the beginning of this book, the Bible. This is the, one of the stories that's being told here in Genesis 1 through 3. Here we are in this wonderful place. We have a great God, a good God, a God who has, he cares and he's uh, committed and he has confidence, just the kind of person you would want to be under. But there, and there are lots of trees and you can eat of all the trees, but then there's one tree, right? And I don't, you know, why do they put the tree in the center of the garden? Right? It's like leaving the, clock, the closet with the Clorox unlocked and putting it right there in the middle of the, 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 the play yard. Why? Because this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is the one place where we have an opportunity to either place ourselves under this good God or to say, you're not the boss of me. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree uh, where we decide who has the ultimate knowledge of what is good and what is evil, who gets to say that's what's at stake in Eden. And you know what? The teaching of the text is by human nature, we just say, I'm sorry, I get to be the one who decides. I get to decide what's good and evil. I find my authority in myself. But the tree is a reminder of the same truth that we find in the centurion, and that is that really we're supposed to find our authority under the authority of another but we don't want to be under. We don't want to be under. That's what I'm saying. It's our past. It's our culture. It's our nature. And maybe that's why Jesus is so doggone amazed by this centurion. Do you catch Jesus' emotion? And actually, when you read the Gospels, what you'll notice is it's really rare to get any insight into Jesus' emotional state. The writers rarely tell us what Jesus is actually feeling. But here Matthew does. He goes, he was amazed. We get Jesus' emotion. He's amazed, stunned, shocked, staggered. He says, oh, Jesus, he says, oh my gosh, I truly, I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I, I have to tell you, 
I admire the centurion, but it's really hard to talk about him. It's hard to talk about authority. I'm, I am struggling to understand the meaning of this text in my own life. I'm struggling to understand these words that are spoken around him. And I, I would guess that you, you struggle as well to take them in because, because they're so countercultural. They're so counterintuitive. We really do want to create our own selves. We want to create our own spirituality. We want to create our own Jesus. It's the deliverance of our culture. It's part of our nature. It's what we've experienced in the past. We don't want to live under anything. Not even the real Jesus. Especially not the real Jesus. He's dangerous. Oh my gosh. I'd rather live over under the Jesus of my own making. We don't accept that he's the true author of the Bible or the true authority over our lives. There are parts of the Bible that we love, like the, you know, the part where it says that God loves us. That's a great part of the Bible. There are other parts of the Bible that we just rather skip over. You know, the parts that talk about walking humbly with our God or justice or holiness. Oh my goodness. That's for somebody else, if any at all. We read the text, but we never want to sit under the text. But if there is any reality, this is what I keep coming back to, if there is any reality at all to the sorts of things that Jesus is talking about, to this great kingdom that is truly breaking in to disrupt the kingdoms of this world, it would have to be a greater reality, not just than me, but than I could even imagine. It would have to be a reality that's so great at times it wouldn't make sense to any person in all cultures. And I would have to surrender to it. I'd have to find a way to surrender to it to surrender to this king, to his reign and rule in my life, to his reign and rule in all of creation. I mean, if the story is at least even partially true. And, and this is where we see the centurion. He, he comes to this place where he says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is the realization. Suddenly, somehow, this Roman man, he understands the reality of who Jesus is. Oh, I'm not worthy. This is the kind of thing that people say when they come before a king. I'm not worthy to, to be in your presence, to have you come uh, under my roof. This is also the sort of thing we say, you see in the Bible, whenever someone truly comes into the presence of God, oh my gosh, I'm not worthy. It's not shame. It's just a sense of uh, amazement of the greatness of this unimaginable beauty of this one, the power and the sovereignty of the one before whom we now bow. And he says, I, essentially he's saying, I, I wouldn't have you under any part of my life, not even my roof. I yearn to be under someone like you. And then we say, with a centurion, only speak the word. Only speak the word. And your servant will be healed. That's our prayer, isn't it? To live under the word of the great king, even if I don't understand it, even if it confronts me, even if it calls us against our desires or against the desires of our culture. Speak the word, we say, and your servant will be healed. Speak the word and my sin will be forgiven. Speak the word and your spirit will empower me. Speak the word as I live out your great commandment and your great commission and your authority will give my life authority and the gates of hell will not stand against us. Only speak the word. And Jesus says, when you say that, I have never seen faith like this before. This is stunning. He's responding to faith. Finally, here's someone who gets it. This is what it looks like. You find the authority of your life 
under, under the authority of another. I like to think of this centurion as old, not just because uh, you'd have to be old to achieve that rank. You know, he's traveled. He's gone campaign after campaign. He's earned every one of his scars. But I think what's interesting to think of an old man in Capernaum realizing that when he opens his closet and he takes out that uniform and he puts it on any given day in the week, something happens. Right? I mean, on any other day without the uniform, he walks out to the dusty roads of Capernaum and he's just a regular guy. He tells people what he wants and the people of Capernaum kind of shrug. They go, yeah, I want that too. (laughs) But on the days that he puts on that uniform, when he puts on that crest and cudgel, when he, they notice him. He steps out that door and every head turns. Well, they notice his authority and they respond and he says, go and they go and he says, come and they come and he says, do this, would you? And they do it. Why? Well, he knows. He's got the wisdom now to know. They're not responding to him. They're responding to Rome in him. See, he knows he, he's got no intrinsic authority of his own. But when he puts on that uniform, he is under the authority of Rome. And things happen. He, he commands fields. He empowers troops. He has the power of life and death. His very word in that uniform is the word of the emperor. The Caesar himself speaks through this uniformed soldier. So that when you stand before this man in uniform, you stand before the emperor himself. I mean, that's the authority of his life. And it all happens because he's a man under authority. I mean, that's his secret. And and I just wonder what it would look like for me today to live with that same secret. I don't think I'm going to carry a sword around or a cudgel, but what would that look like for us? I mean, I, I, over the next few weeks in this new series, I want to wrestle with that question with you. So here are some questions. What would it look like to have faith like this guy? It, what would it look like to live under the authority of a king? You mean even in a democracy, King Jesus. How would I engage his word differently if I sat under it, not over it? What part of my life would be challenged, changed, strengthened? How would the meaning and purpose of my life be redefined as I understand myself living, not in my own story or one of my own making, but in the story that we call the good news? When I invite you to wrestle with these same questions, I think it's worth doing because there's something really, really beautiful here. Remember, this is a healing story. This is a miracle story. The, the, The word for healing is the word for salvation. This is a story that's not just for one servant years ago writhing in pain. This is a story for all of us feeling the pain of this moment in this cosmos. This is about salvation, redemption, This is the wider story that Matthew is telling in what we call his gospel or his good news. It's that this God who made us, the creator, is breaking into the chaos of our world, creation, in order to reclaim it in love. (laughs) He loves you. He loves this creation. And he's breaking in. And his word is alive and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
even today, this is the story that Matthew is telling us. Remember who Matthew was? Remember who Matthew was? His name was Levi. He was a tax collector. He was a Roman sympathizer. He was scum of the earth, ripping off his own people. But now he's a saint. He's, he's got a new life because Matthew has learned what it means to be under. Jesus not only has the authority to heal the sick, he has the authority to forgive sins, to lay down his life and to take it up again on the third day. That one human being, that at least, and we know only, one human being in all time, in all space, has lived for all the rest of all human beings under the authority of God the Father. Thanks be to God that Jesus perfectly lived under the Father's authority. And he did it in our uniform. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus took on our uniform. I had a mentor who used to say to me, George, don't worry, we've all got stains on our uniform. You know, as he'd gone through his divorce, encountered Jesus and his grace in a fresh way, and continued to serve fruitfully in ministry, he said, George, we've all got stains on our uniforms. But here's the Son of God, the divine logos, or the living word, as St. John would refer to him in his gospel, taking on our uniform. So that when we stand before Jesus, we stand before God himself in our flesh. And he took on the stains, the grass stains, the dirt stains. He took them onto himself. Paul says in Romans 8, 3, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, not idealized flesh, but our sinful flesh. So that when Jesus stands before God, his father, there we stand clothed in his perfect righteousness without a spot in his uniform. I, I like the connection that Robert Jensen makes between author and authority. And let me just give you a definition, and we'll come back to this, a definition of authority that comes from that observation. Authority is the right to tell the story that we're in. Authority is the right to be the author and, and to tell the story that we're in. So to be under the authority of another, another is to give someone else the right to tell you the story that you're in. It's what parenting is all about when we do it well. It's what a good mentor or a good therapist will do for us. She'll tell you what story you're really in. It's what the centurion lets Jesus do for himself. It's what we're meant to let Matthew and in fact the whole Bible do to tell us what story we're in. And by the way, here's how you get to true authenticity, author, authority, authenticity. You see that? When we let the author of history and the author of our lives take the place of authority in our lives, we actually become more authentic who we were authentically meant to be, not less. See, he knows the real story of your life as your redeemer, as your creator, and the only way to become your authentic self is to let him tell you how your story fits into his. And when we do that, our lives are not just authentic, they're filled with authority. In two chapters, Jesus is going to give his authority to those who are under his authority, his followers. And they're going to have the authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases. That's what Jesus tells them. That's authority. He's going to give authority to all those who are under. And this is what St. John says as well. Listen to John. But to all who received him, who even just believed in his name, Jesus gave power, literally authority, that's the Greek word there, to become children of God. 
The point is, you find your authority, the authority of your life under the authority of another. Would you pray with me? As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I, I want to just give you an opportunity to reflect, to reflect, and, and to speak with your King Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to tell Jesus that you'd like to be under, just like the centurion. I know it's hard, but let's talk to him about that. Maybe you've been there before, but somehow you've come out from under, and you're, w- you're waking up to that reality this morning. Well, there can only be one king in your life at a time, and now you're ready for Jesus to be that king, to surrender and to trust to him, trust him. Would you tell him that? I'm also going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll be the only one looking, but I just want to give you an opportunity to take action, to say, like the centurion does, I'm under your authority, Jesus. I'm coming back. Would you raise your hand if you'd like to take this moment to rededicate yours? Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You can do it online. You can raise your hand online as well. I see that. He sees that. He honors your faith when you raise your hand in a moment like this. It stuns him, but delights him. Thank you. You can put those down. Maybe you've never put yourself under Jesus before, and I want to give you an opportunity to do that too, to become a Christian. Notice what John has said. To believe in his name is all it takes. You believe in his name, and he gives you the authority to become a royal daughter a royal son, a child of God. Christian's not a perfect person, but a person who's received Jesus as their king and savior and become, by grace, a child of God. John tells us it happens when we just believe in his name, meaning we decide to trust him. We entrust ourselves to him. If you this morning have never said yes to Jesus, but you're willing to trust his word regarding your life, If you're willing to trust that the word that Jesus speaks to you, no matter who you are or what you've done, has the power to heal you and to save you, would you please raise your hand? Raise your hand and say to Jesus, yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, I see that. Thank you. And as you you raise your hand, you're stepping from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved light. Lord Jesus, we pray for one another with such gratitude and joy. It is a joy to surrender to no one but the king of heaven and earth, the lion of Judah who sits on the throne who's also the lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world, most pressingly to take away our sins. Thank you that we stand now before your father in heaven. We stand before him because we're in your uniform your perfect righteousness, which has been given to us by grace and which we've received by faith. In Christ's name, amen.